0: Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Take me away with you, let us hurry, let the king bring me into his chambers. How beautiful you are, my darling, oh, how beautiful, how handsome you are, my lover, oh, how charming, and our bed is verdant. Do not, uh, or he has taken me to his banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. My lover is mine, and I am his. How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful. All beautiful you are, my darling, there is no flaw in you. My lover is radiant and ruddy. That's a compliment, calling someone ruddy. Outstanding among 10,000. Like, who talks like this now? Like, who writes songs for their spouse about how they just want to grow old and they're willing to share the remote control? And like, where are the, the songs being written about husbands looking at their wife and saying, how beautiful you are. I don't even, I can't even compare you to anyone. And where are the wives who speak of their husband As radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Like, I know it's a silly clip, and I can't call this silly because it's biblical, but as I consider like marriage, and this is where we're headed today in terms of marriage and relationships and all of that, um, I was struck certainly by that, but I was reading Solomon, Song of Solomon, and No one talks like that anymore. Like, where are the marriages that, like, go for that, that look like that? When you, if you are single and not married, you look at them and you'd be like, man, if I could have a quarter percent of their relationship, I would be be okay. Like, where are the marriages that we look to and we're like, man, look at the joy, look at the love that they have for, look at the passion that they have for each other. They smile. They're proud of each other. They just enjoy one another. They can't stop thinking about one another. Now, most people would say, well, dude, that's totally the dating relationship. Marriage kind of kills all of that. And it shouldn't be. It just shouldn't be. Um, There's, you know, a lot of people, obviously, in Genesis... uh, I didn't actually count, but I'm guessing we're about 75%, 80% single. And so there's, I'm going to guess out of the 80% people who are single, that maybe 75% desire to get married one day. I've not done a study, so don't quote me on this, but I'm just guessing that there's a lot of people who, when they consider marriage, they're like, yes, I would love uh, to get married one day. And what happens is we desire to get married, and then we get married, and then that's it. And what I've been thinking about is it's a diff- there's one thing to desire marriage, but I want to press, especially if you're single, you a little bit further and say, what kind of marriage do you want to have? Because there's a lot of people who are married and absolutely miserable, can't stand one another. They speak to each other in ways where they say, I hate you. And obviously you would not say, well, that's the kind of marriage I would like to have. But so many are bent on, I I just want to get married. But they never consider, what kind of marriage do I actually want to have? So what kind of marriage do you actually want to have? And if you are married, the handful of you here that are married, what kind of marriage do you want to have? Like, are you singing songs to your wife? And I'm not trying to be cheesy, I'm just There's a sense of joy, a sense of honor, a sense of excitement. I I read Solomon, and what kind of marriage do you want to have? What happens is we get married, and then really the goal, the aim in marriage, sometimes is literally just to stay married. It's just, let's keep a relatively happy, healthy home, let's pay our bills, let's survive the kids, you know, and all of the joys as well as trials that kids bring. Let's just make it through and hopefully we'll get to the end and we still might like each other. That's just not marriage. I know that's what is modeled a lot, but as I consider scripture and as I consider just what the Bible has to say about marriage, it's so much more than many married couples are experiencing. And it is not often lifted up as the ideal for single peoples to say, look at the marriages here in scripture. Go for that. So this is a, a different message that uh, we're going to have today. I'm, I know largely uh, a lot of single people here. Uh, so I will press you to think about, if you do desire marriage, what kind of marriage do you want to have? And if you're married, please don't settle for the marriage you're in. Press into a marriage that God absolutely desires you to have. Let me uh, pray for us. And uh, before I do that, uh, we don't do this often. Um, Uh, here. Um, But I want you guys to interact. Kyla's going to come up with me here in a few minutes. Actually, that's a lie, about 30, 40 minutes. Um, But how you can interact is uh, you're going to have the opportunity to ask questions. We're talking about some pretty real stuff of marriage, divorce, separation, sex, lust. We're going to try and cover as much of that as we can. And so a way for you to interact and ask questions about these pretty personal Uh, Topics is you can text your questions in, and then uh, when we're done here uh, walking through some things that Jesus says, uh, we're going to look at your questions just on the fly. So, the way this works is uh, on your phone, uh, text um, in the body of the text, write Genesis or text Genesis, put your question, and then text it to 99503. That's how that works. God, would you please uh, speak into our time this morning? God, if there's uh, people here who are desiring marriage, I pray that they would catch a vision of what marriage not only could be, but should be. And that it just wouldn't be a desire to get married, but it would be a desire to have a marriage that makes much to do about you. And a marriage that's just filled with joy and passion and friendship. And God, to those who uh, are married here today, I realize there's uh, maybe just but a handful God, I pray that uh, there would be great encouragement and there would be great challenge. Not just to settle for the marriage of just trying to make it through and survive it, but to live out the marriage that you have designed for us. So God, please let your voice be the loudest voice in this place today. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Jesus talked about uh, anger and said, anger is murder. Anger doesn't lead to murder. Anger is murder. And Jesus now turns to another A word, and it starts with adultery. It doesn't start with adultery. It is adultery. And so he's looking at, it's very interesting of his, when he jumps from the Beatitudes, uh, the attitudes that were called to live out, uh, the next teaching goes, he goes right into anger, and then today he goes right into adultery and lust, and just sex, and the marriage, and divorce, and if we think that the Bible's not relevant, there's a reason. He starts with anger and follows it up with adultery. Like, sex is not just uh, an adultery, and unfaithfulness, and lust. We didn't invent this in the 21st century. Like, there's a reason he's addressing it, is because people in the first century, and even before that, were just as messed up as our culture is. And so this is what Jesus has to say about um, adultery. Matthew 5, 27. By the way, you can start sending questions in at any time. Matthew five twenty seven. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. This is the seventh commandment. For those of you familiar with the 10 commandments, this is number seven, which quotes Exodus 2014. You shall not commit adultery. Pretty, pretty straightforward commandment uh, that God gives uh, through Moses in the 10 commandments. Now, people's understanding of adultery was pretty simple. Don't have sex outside of marriage. You do? That's wrong. That's adultery. That's the standard is just don't have sex. Don't cheat on your spouse. Uh, If you do, that's considered uh, adultery. And so the idea was, if I'm not having sex with someone other than my wife or my husband, I'm good to go. Like, as long as I'm not literally just having sex, sexual intercourse with someone other than my wife or my, my husband, then I'm okay. So people, just so you know, took this commandment very seriously. Like this was a big deal. They didn't want to commit adultery because in the Old Testament law, guess what the penalty was for committing adultery? Now, in our culture, penalty for adultery uh, is certainly grounds for divorce, even by state law. But typically, if someone's found committing adultery, the money goes to uh, the one who is the victim. And so there's punishment for adultery. Old Testament, Leviticus says this. This is I'm trying to stress, adultery is a big deal. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, and neighbor is broadly, de- broadly defined as anyone, both the adulterer and the adulteress die. Okay, not like just a metaphorical death, not like a squirt gun death, an actual death. People would be stoned, they would be killed if they were found committing adultery. So this was a really big deal, and so people didn't want to commit adultery, okay? But this is the problem. The focus was, as long as I'm not having sex with someone other than my spouse, I am completely covered. Jesus comes along, and in one sentence, in one verse, completely not only elevates what it means to be what God is talking about, what sexual purity is, but he completely destroys everyone's understanding of adultery. In one sentence, Jesus levels everyone's understanding of adultery. He says this, Matthew five twenty eight, But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You lust after her, you lust after him. In your heart, you're done. Okay? Remember how Jesus said anger just doesn't lead to murder. Anger is murder. Okay? Lust does not lead to adultery. Lust in what Jesus is saying, lust is adultery. Okay? Jesus is making a pretty clear point, and he's going to do this throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is a single truth. God really cares about your heart. Okay, We often go for the external. As long as I'm not doing this, I'm okay. I'm not breaking any laws, any rules, any commandments. That's the way people operate. That's the way they were taught. Jesus comes along and says, no, if you have anger, you're killing people. You're a murderer, If you have lust in your heart, you are an adulterer. So by this definition, all of us have committed adultery. And I know the kickback is automatic. Okay, I kind of get that, but I've not physically committed adultery. Don't get yourself hung up on technicalities. God looks at the heart. Jesus is speaking to the heart. If you've got stuff inside, lust, it's done. You've committed adultery. So an obvious question, what's in your heart? If your heart is of vital importance, not only to your health of a relationship with God, but relationship with other people, what is in your heart right now? Not yesterday, literally, as you're sitting here, what is in your heart? When I say that, what's in you? Okay, Heart in Scripture often refers to just the core of who you are. So what is in the core of who you are? I love how Jesus says this in Matthew 15. He says this, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Okay? This is all stuff born within your heart. So what's in your heart? Okay? Jesus is going pretty hard after, obviously, lust. And so I want to define what lust is. Lust is two things, speaks to desire, okay? The Bible makes clear, Old Testament, New Testament, throughout, that there are good desires that we can have, okay? So lust is, same word, desire. There are God-centered desires, and then there are self-centered desires. God-centered desires are good. When we desire things like holiness and righteousness, when we just desire Jesus, to love him, to love other people, Like Luke uh, 22, this is Jesus speaking. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I desire to share, to break this bread with you, because it will be the last time. Timothy 3 says this. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, an elder, a pastor, a shepherd, He desires a noble task. So there is a category for really good desire. If you desire things of being an elder, a shepherd, a pastor, serving, leading in the church, that's a good thing. That's a good desire. That's nobility. Ah, But then there's desire on the flip side. So there's God-centered desire, and then there is absolutely self-centered desire selfish desire, and that word is called lust. And self-centered desire or lust is we desire after things that we're not meant to have. We desire things that God has not given us permission to have, and things that ultimately are not for me from God. I have one wife. For me to lust after other women is completely not only just sinful, but it is representative of ultimately what's going on in my heart. I only want one woman. I don't want 20. I don't want more. I want one. Why? Because God's given her to me as a great gift. And when I'm lusting, desiring other women, that just kills not only Kyla, but just kills what God has given me. And so lust has many faces. I said anger has many faces. Lust has many faces. I'm going to focus on the sex, on the flesh. But you can lust after money. You can lust after status. You can lust after just possessions. You can lust after relationships. We can have very self-centered desires, but Jesus is speaking to sex, to the flesh. And if trying to unpack lust for you, lust basically says, if I get that, I will find the satisfaction that I'm not getting from God. So if I can just have more of that, more of her, more of him, more of this, ultimately that will meet that need that I'm so craving, so desiring to have. It's a statement to God what you've given me is not good enough. And so I lust for more. It's an affront not only to the, if you're married to your wife, to your husband, it's an affront to God. It communicates to God, you're not good. You're holding out. You're not giving me what I want. In Galatians, Paul talks about it like this. There's two desires, both in conflict with one another. Galatians 5, I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, meaning lust. For the sinful nature lusts or desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. Point being, like God-centered desire and self-centered desire, they cannot coexist. What God is calling for in his people is that we would be people with a God-centered desire. Desires that reflect who he is and how good he is. Question Why do we lust? Okay, every single person in this room, both male and female, I know most women think, no, that's a guy thing. It's a girl thing, too. We all lust. Your lust might look very different uh, than what guys might lust after, but you lust nonetheless. Keep in mind God centered desire, self centered desire. Anything that self centered desire is lust. Why do we lust? It's rooted in contentment. It's the conviction, I am just not content with what I have. God's holding out on me, Adam and Eve in the garden. I want to grab for that which God has said I cannot have. If you have lust within your heart, behind that is a person who is not content with God. Secondly is care. Care. We just don't care about people. Meaning, when you are lusting after someone else, you have dehumanized them. They are nothing more than just an object for your play, for your pleasure. Like when you are men looking at a woman in a lustful manner, you have stolen her significance, value, and worth. She is no longer a person, she at best is maybe an animal. You've robbed her of her personhood. A woman is made in the same image of God that you are made in. So when you are looking lustfully at a woman, you've stolen her identity. You're stealing her personhood. And just so you know, that's not pleasing to God, and we will be judged for the thoughts that we have. And women, you do not want men lusting after you. I've interacted with uh, enough over the years and have seen women who actually want, they don't necessarily say it like this, but they want men to lust after them. And they do whatever they can to make sure that happens, whether it's in a flirtatious word, whether it's in a style of dress. Women, you do not want men lusting after you. You do not want a man to look at you with lustful eyes. I know it seems like uh, there are, that you want guys giving you that attention and thinking about you. But can I just tell you, they're not thinking about how can I love? How can I serve? How can I sacrifice? Lustful thoughts are how can I take? How can I consume her? She has something that I want. What can I do to manipulate her to get what I want? How can I take advantage of her? How can I dominate her so that my needs would get met? Do you really want men lusting after you? You don't. I know I'm a guy. I can't imagine... I just had to clarify, just in case there was anyone curious. I can't imagine what it's like to be a woman in this culture we live in. Like, I say this uh, tearfully because it's terrible. How many women find significance in their value and their worth from a culture that says, how beautiful you are, what you look like, the size and the shape of your breasts or your butt, that, that's you. That determines how significant and value and worthy you are. I feel for you who have bought into my significance, value, and worth come from my external from how I look, from how I dress. There is so much more to you than what you look like. I realize we live in a culture that says, no, there's not. It's all about appearance. It's all about look. My encouragement, my challenge, do not listen to that. That is lies. Listen to the God who created you. Listen to the God who knows you. Listen to what he declares you to be. Listen to his voice saying your significance, value, and worth is not found in your beauty. How big you are, how small you are, how tall, how short, what your hair looks like, what you dress, what you wear. If you buy into that, that is a very shallow existence. I don't recommend you read this book this is a, uh, a sociological study of why guys act like guys. And there's a section in here on women, and uh, the title of the chapter is Girls in Guyland," of how women, how girls navigate living with a culture and a society that screams at you, it is all about how you look. It says this, uh, in a famous study of uh, the life of women uh, on campus, uh, from students to faculty to administrators to service staff, staff, researchers at Duke, heard a phrase that seemed to capture the core of this new femininity, Effortless, effortless perfection. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, women, but effortless perfection. It speaks to you have to be perfect. You have to look perfect, but you have to do it in a way where it doesn't look like you're trying. Goes on to say, you can do it all, but you mustn't try too hard. In fact, you can't appear to be making any effort at all. In the study, Duke women said they felt they have to be smart, accomplished fit, beautiful, popular, and all this would happen without visible effort. The goal is more wearing than it might seem, says Jessica, a senior at Stanford University. I mean, just look at me today. I'm in jeans and flip-flops and a sweatshirt, and this look is so casual. She goes on to say, but do you know how long it takes to get ready in the morning and look like this? It is a studied look, and we work hard to appear that we don't care how we look. We work hard sometimes to conceal how hard we study. We work hard to eat and then work out, stay fit, never break a sweat. It's expletive, exhausting. I wonder how many women are living exhausted lives because you've bought into the lie, it's all about your appearance. And if you believe it's about your appearance, then you will desire men to desire you in a lustful way. If that's where you're at, my encouragement is please fall in love with Jesus. Fall in the love with the one who loves you, not based on your appearance, but the one who loves you perfectly. Fall in love with him. He cares not how big or small, how pretty you are. He loves you, sinful and all. And then when you find a guy who looks like him, who acts like him, who behaves like Jesus, and you look at him and you say, man, I see a a picture, I see a glimpse of Christ in that guy, grab his hand. Until then, don't grab anyone's hand because they're not worth it. They will demean you. I know this is maybe hard to hear, but there are too many women who are just buying into the lie that you are Valuable and significant because some guy has pressed into your head, it's all about your appearance and your beauty. Guys, please, do it different. Do it better. Guys, to the men here of Genesis... Would you treat every single woman that is here as a sister with absolute purity? Shame on you if you look at her in a lustful way, thinking of how you can dominate, control, manipulate, use. Would you treat the women that are here with absolute purity in the way that you speak to them, in the way that you care for them? Men, what would it look like in this community, to have a community, I'm speaking to the men, where women felt safe. They felt absolutely secure. They could come into a community, I'm not just talking this building, but they could be part of a reality, a community, where they felt safe and secure in what Jesus has declared them to be, not in what you're looking for in a woman. Like, what would it look like, men, to create such a, an environment where women felt safe, secure, loved, and they would actually, women would see men here who look like Jesus? It's amazing. I hear on both sides. I hear guys asking, gosh, where are all the godly women? And I'm like, and all the women are saying, well, where are all the godly men? And I'm like, what community am I living in? Like, everyone's just missing each other. Women ask that because they don't see Jesus. So men, press into being, looking, acting, attitudes, behaviors like Jesus. Women do not settle for anything less than someone who absolutely first and foremost loves Jesus. I'm going to go on... um, and ask the question, lust, if you are sinning and not just struggling, I've heard too many men and not as many women, but men who say, I just struggle with lust. You're not struggling with lust, you sin. So just declare what it is. What do you do? And I love that Jesus is Jesus and, and practical. And so his answer to this is amputation. If this is you, If you're that man whose heart is filled with lust, a woman whose heart is filled with lust, whether it's for a man, for that relationship, for anything else, Jesus says, amputate. Cut it off, cut it out. Matthew 5 says this, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. How serious is sin to Jesus? In two verses, he's talking about the reality of hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Point is, amputate that which is killing you. Cut off from your life that which is literally destroying who you are. This is called radical amputation. And Jesus has a great sense of urgency. Whatever it is, whatever that is, cut it off. And he's not just, he's saying specifically, what is causing you to sin? Cut it off. What is causing you to sin? Cut it off. It's a picture of, it's better for you to limp into heaven than run into hell with both feet intact. It's better for you to have in need of a pair of glasses in heaven than to have 20-20 vision in hell. That's what he's saying. If you have something in your life that is causing you to sin, cut it off, amputate it. If you physically think of someone who has to amputate a limb, it is messy it is painful, it is bloody. But you do not amputate unless it ultimately, if you don't, it's gonna kill you. So it will be hard, it will be painful, it could be messy, but if you don't, it will kill you. Some of you, practically speaking, might, I'm gonna be as practical as I can, literally might need to amputate, cut off, Your computer, because your computer is filled with so much smut and porn that it's killing you. Get rid of your computer. Is it really that important to you? Some of you literally might need to cut off a relationship with some guy, with some girl. Some of you might need to change your job. Do you know that 70% of adultery, adulterous affairs begin in the office? 70% of men who have affairs, it starts in the office. So literally, some of you who go to work and you're flirting with her and you're getting made to feel good about yourself because she pays attention to you, get a new job. Like, this is how radical Jesus is teaching. If you don't, hell, this is Jesus. I'm not just saying this. This is how important, this is how serious it is. Sin is leads us away from God. The Bible has one response to sexual sin, and I'll just read a few verses. And the theme of responding biblically to sexual sin is just run really fast. 1 Corinthians says this, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. That has single-handedly one verse shaped how I view myself. God bought this life at a great sacrifice of his son. How could I do anything but honor God with me? with my body, with my attitudes, my actions. 2 Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Some of us who are 25 are still acting like we're 15. We're still doing and dabbling in the same sins we did when we were little boys. Some of us who are 45 are still dabbling in the same sins you did when you were 25. Don't act like a little boy It says, flee the evil desires of youth, pursue righteousness. 1 Thessalonians, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual sin, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that's holy, honorable, not with passionate lust like the heathen, meaning people who don't know God. It would be a really funny picture if, not really funny, maybe disturbing If someone had literally amputated a leg, I mean like medically, surgically, and he's like, you know what, I want to reattach my leg now, after it had already been cut off, completely severed. It would be silly to think that you could put your leg, your arm back on once it had been amputated. But that's what many of us do. We get fired up like, yes, I'm going to go get rid of this and stop this. And you do it on Sunday, but then Monday you reattach the very thing you just amputated. Like, why do we try to reattach what we once were convinced, I need to cut off because it's killing me? What is it that God right now, as you sit here in your chair, that God is saying, would you amputate this? Because if you don't, it will destroy you. I'm going to invite Kyla um, to come up. And we're going to get ready to take some, uh, some questions. I'm going to do part two next week, because part two gets into uh, divorce, and that's too big to rush into the next few minutes. Um, I wanted to give something helpful before we take some questions uh, of if you are a person who's really dealing, battling with lust, and I just don't mean physically um, uh, lust over someone, um, a woman or a guy, like lust has invaded your personhood. Uh, what is something practical uh, that you can do? I've already mentioned you need to cut off that which is killing you. I I think you know what that means. Um, There's a man in the Bible named Job, and if you look at Job 1.1, Job 1.1 says, man, there was not a more righteous man than this guy Job. He was godly. He was righteous in all that he did. Skip 30 chapters later, and in chapter 31, you see Job make a covenant, a commitment to God and it says this, Job 31, 1. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. How is it that someone so righteous, so good, so godly would need to make such a covenant with their eyes? Some of you might think that's just not me. I'm above that, I'm beyond that. Make a covenant with your eyes today that you will not look lustfully, self centered, selfish desires upon anyone, male or female. In college, uh, it was always interesting at Ohio State, uh, at springtime, women decided to pretty much prance around half naked. And it was absolutely not helpful as you're riding, walking to class, you just see all of this literally flesh all over the place. And you knew it was done intentionally because they want you to lust after them because in their minds, if you look at them, that means somehow in a twisted way, oh, they must love me, they must cherish me, they must desire me. And so I had a group of men who said, listen, every time lust even begins to enter as a thought, start praying for me. And we had a group about four guys that we were committed uh, to praying for one another as soon as a lustful thought would come in. And it was amazing. After I prayed for three, four guys, uh, Either she was gone or the thought was gone. I wasn't thinking about it. It is really hard to pray to God with lust in your heart. Because God just, like, really? Are you serious? You want me to listen to you right now? The way you're thinking about that person, that woman that is created in my image? So if you have lust and is, especially in that practical way, pray for that individual, and pray for some other men, some other women that might be dealing with the same thing. Now, how do you know if some men or women are dealing with the same thing? This is my last point. We'll take some questions. You need to confess. You need to tell someone, you know what? My heart is a mess. Absolutely wretched. I have so much lust, so much evil desire in me. I want to get it out. Confess that to a brother. Confess that to a sister. And say, you know what? I need help. I can't do this on my own. So will you pray for me? And I will pray for you. Hi, Kyla. Jen, do we have some questions? All right, no questions. God bless. Peace out. Is that the question? What does waiting on the Lord look like? Okay. You want to go?
1: Sure. Um, Well, just first I wanted just to say that I feel like I know for myself in times past and probably there are women sitting here today who, oh, it's about lust. Sweet, I can tune out a little bit because this is about guys because I'm not looking at guys lusting after them. And so I think it's easy as women to just, To let this go and say, yeah, you guys better get your act together. This has nothing to do with me. But I would say that um, women, I mean, Michael addressed this also, that women do lust after things. It just usually presents itself in a different way. And I think one huge example that I see all around me in women's lives is women lusting after or longing for a relationship. And then that which is a good desire to have, to be in a relationship to get married, but what happens is that becomes more important than loving Jesus in their lives it becomes more important than seeking after Jesus and waiting on the Lord. Um, so when I think about waiting on the Lord for women, what I think of is that um, instead of pursuing a relationship, doing whatever it takes to get into a relationship, one you think that's gonna you think that's gonna meet your emotional needs your needs to feel secure and accepted and loved and so women will do whatever it takes they'll compromise their standards they'll date guys who they know are not god's best for them they'll um, dress in a way to get men's attention uh, like michael was talking about women who will dress in a way so that men will lust after them thinking that this will lead towards the relationship the love that i long for um women will make other bad choices to you know um They will compromise their purity with a guy, thinking, well, you know, if we just fool around, he's really going to love me, and this will lead to, you know, the relationship I long for. When instead what women need to be doing is loving Jesus with all their heart and waiting on him, he knows our desires. He knows that we have desires to be married, and he will provide for it. If it's his will for you to be married, his will for you to be in a relationship, he'll provide in his timing, and he'll provide in a way that is healthy and good, and I feel like so for women, waiting on the Lord means not just sitting around waiting but pursuing Jesus it means loving Jesus with all your heart and stop wasting your time trying to meet that need for a relationship yourself by doing all kinds of things that really just lead you um, lead you farther from the Lord and just in terms of the amputation, I know you know you can think of ways um, what are ways that women need to amputate things? Like in terms of if you're lusting after a relationship, if that's what your struggle is for, then you might mm. need to cut, cut it off and you might need to make a decision to not be in a relationship, to not pursue, to not even date a guy, to not go out with men, to make a commitment to cut that off so that you can wait on the Lord.
0: That's good. By the way, waiting uh, should be active. Like there's a lot of people who say, I'm waiting on the Lord, but uh, they look no different maybe a month later. Uh, so waiting is actively, as Kyle is uh, saying, uh, is growing and ultimately looking more and more uh, like Jesus. Uh, what boundaries should married couple set for spending time uh, with the opposite sex? That's a great question. I'll give you my answer. Um, My role, obviously, is a little bit different in that I spend time uh, with women, uh, very limited time, uh, and it's usually isolated to if it's someone for a ministry context or a counseling type of context, Uh, but I don't spend one-on-one time with women. I don't have women friends. I'm friendly to women, and so if you're thinking, oh, I thought Michael was my friend, I am your friend, but um, I'm not, like, texting women and emailing women. I don't have you know, weird Facebook relationships with women that I'm like secretly uh, posting stuff on their wall, which wouldn't be very secret, I guess. Um, You know, um, because I want to communicate to my wife that I am a one-woman man. I'm not looking around, I'm not curious, I'm not... I used to be the guy who was very flirtatious. Uh, And you know why I was flirtatious? It's because I was incredibly insecure. And I figured if I could get women to like me, I'd feel better about myself. And so I would flirt, and I would play a cute little personality, and they'd be like, oh, you're so cute, Michael. I'm like, I know, tell me more. (laughs) There's a lot of guys uh, who are like that. You need to literally die to yourself and die to that. It's just sinful and immature. Uh, So boundaries, uh, I spend time with Kyla. That's it. I love her. I'm not loving any other women. Uh, so you need to have boundaries in place. Uh, and I guys, I really want you to hear that. Uh, especially to guys who are like, you know what? I'm I just I get along better with women. I can just relate better with women. And I just I connect with this this it doesn't work in marriage. It is absolutely not sustainable to have friendships with women once you're married. Because you know what? That communicates to your wife. If I'm literally talking on the phone, emailing, texting, hanging out one-on-one with women, what does it create in my wife? An incredible amount of insecurity. Gosh, what's wrong with me? Why does Michael talk to her and share that with her? Why doesn't he share that stuff with me? A godly marriage should be a marriage where your wife is so secure in your love for her. If she's insecure, guys, it's your fault. And if you have the attitude, well, no, she just is struggling with the whole body image, it's your fault. There's a reason your wife feels insecure. You do whatever you can to make her feel secure in who she is in Jesus as a daughter, child of God, and who she is as your wife. She's got insecurity issues, that's your issue. And I mean that sincerely. If Kyla, and she has, she would tell you, has struggled with body image or insecurity, That's on me, guys, and it's on you as well. You pray for her, you love her, you lead her, you whisper in her ear what Solomon whispered again and again. Do you think Solomon's wife, okay, I'm not going to get in the conversation he had a 1,000, but do you think the one he was speaking to? (laughs) That totally shoots the argument, but... um, (laughs) Um, I read Song of Solomon, and I see a woman who is ultimately secure. She's ultimately insecure. Secure, not insecure. So boundaries, you better have some solid boundaries. I don't, do not you have anything?
1: Well, I think even uh, boundaries for spending time with people of the opposite sex needs to be reconsidered even before you're married. Um, how, how much time should you spend with somebody of the opposite sex just as friends before you're married I think that uh, it needs to be reexamined and uh, one thing that I would say a good boundary that you could use is if I were married could I be if I were married to someone else could I Mm -hmm. spend time with this person could I spend time with this guy like I am right now because eventually you will be married and what is the point of fostering some deep meaningful friendship with someone of the opposite sex if they're not going to be your spouse and then you get a spouse, and you have to cut that relationship off completely. I think you need to think, in terms of when I'm married, could I still do this? And that needs to be your boundary now, even though you're not married.
0: I'll give you a quick answer uh, that next question. I'm a dude. What does a friendship uh, with a dudette look like? Um, uh, and you will probably disagree uh, with me on this, but um, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> I don't really have, I used to, but I don't anymore. Uh, I just don't have a category for guys uh, being a girl of friends with girls. I'm not talking about being rude and being a jerk. I'm talking about investing deep, meaningful friendship relationships with women. Why I say that is because men uh, are incredibly weak and insecure, and they love having the benefits of a friendship with a woman because of how she might make you feel or what she says or what she does. You love that, but you're not man enough to say, you know what, I'm gonna be committed to this woman. You will use her and take advantage and play the friend with benefits, and I'm not just talking about like physical benefits, but you love the benefits of friendship with women, but you're not man enough to say, I will commit to you. So I don't have a category for guys Please hear me, be friendly, be kind, be caring, all of those things. Be, be friendly, but investing in a relationship as a friend with a woman just doesn't work. Because the second you start to like her, she starts. it's just all sorts of boundaries have gotten crossed. As a brother, your first and foremost concern should be help her to guard her heart. And there are things that guys do to crush a woman's heart. Shame on you for doing that. God will deal with you on that. And I mean that sincerely as, as not a threat, as a reality. She is God's daughter. Who are you to try to manipulate her, play her feelings to make you feel good about yourself? So that's my answer. Maybe uh, one more, if there is one more. Is it okay to ask a woman who is intentionally dressing in a way uh, that causes lust uh, to stop? Good question. You... I'll let you do it. <laughs> um, I'm assuming uh, a guy going up to a woman and saying you're dressing uh, completely inappropriately is the, the question. Um. That's a very good question. I'm stalling to think how I can say this. Um.
1: I think, well, one thing that I think would uh, help in this regard is that women need to be talking to each other about this. Um, Women need to be talking with their friends about how they dress and not encouraging one another to dress in a way that is modest and dress in a way that will um, help our brothers in Christ not to be lusting after us and often women uh, are doing the opposite they are dressing in a way what will make me really look hot tonight what will make me we we want that attention from men because we think that it's something that it's not we think that it means that they care about us and we're we're trying to meet a need a, an honest need that we want to be loved and cared for and feel secure and accepted, but we're trying to meet it in the wrong way by getting men's attention. So I think one thing is that women need to be holding each other accountable to how they dress. And when you go out with your friends, and if they're not dressed appropriately, you've got to speak up and talk to each other about it. It needs to be a conversation that women have. It also, in terms of women, um, we need to check what are we using as our – our model for how we dress are we looking at vogue and cosmo and magazines for the example of how we should be dressing i don't think um i think we need to be this needs to be a conversation that women are having with one another and that women need to be calling other women out on
0: um i like uh, everything kyla said um uh, I would not uh, counsel or encourage uh, a man to go up to a woman and say you are dressing inappropriately. Uh, I would pray like crazy uh, that God is bigger than you and God can speak uh, to that woman. But for you, um, if it's your wife, that's one thing. Uh, If you have, uh, that should be a conversation taking place. Uh, Just to go up to some woman um, uh, in that type of context uh, I think would be inappropriate at best. And um, I would pray, and ultimately, um, how she chooses to dress um, uh, is not, should not determine whether you are lusting or not lusting. So ultimately, I'll just bring it back. It's on you, not on her. I agree with what Kyla said, uh, but guys, if uh, there is someone, one person, maybe a few in particular, who are really causing you uh, to stumble... Uh, Radical amputation looks like, I just don't position myself around them. I'm not spending time with them. Like, this very person that is leading us to stumble, we actually want to be around them. Like, we enjoy being in their presence type of a thing. So, uh, rather than going to them and addressing what you think is their issue, uh, deal with the issue that's in you first. So... I think that, uh, is there a lot more or no? All right, well, how about one more? When you're married, uh, how do you support one another through the battle against sins uh, of the flesh? Uh, what does that look like? Want to take a crack? Um,
1: well, I guess... This is, it's hard to answer this heavy of a question in a second, but um, I guess as a wife, if your husband, for example, is struggling with pornography, um, there's going to be all kinds of issues that you're going to have to work through in regards to that. It affects your marriage. It affects your own um, uh, security and how you view yourself. Um, so there's tons of issues that we're going to have to be worked through and talked through. But i think the most important thing is prayer um, praying for your spouse who's struggling not just being angry with them or um, being resentful of them or doing things to hurt them the way they've hurt you but to spend time praying for them and then there are practical things of uh, accountability asking them how they're doing with the struggle or um, doing things to help them with the struggle helping them to make choices to radically amputate if it means you, all, you lose the family computer, then you lose the family computer and you be okay with that because it's more important that that if your husband's having an issue with pornography that you get it out of your house and you be okay with that and you support decisions like that.
0: Hmm. Um, I would, uh, again, agree uh, with what Kyla uh, has shared. Uh, a very practical of what does it look like. Um, there needs to be a really good, uh, husbands need to do a good job of Confessing. This question presupposes that a wife actually knows what his husband's battling with. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think most wives have a clue as to what their husbands are battling with because their husbands don't know how to confess. And so um, if you're a husband who is somehow uh, realizing, you know what, I'm just filled with lust or I'm just stuck on uh, pornography or whatever the sin might be, uh, you need to do a great job of confessing to your wife uh, where you're at. Uh, How you guard her heart is I don't look at Kyla like, you know what? I've been lusting after this girl and then this girl and then this girl and then this girl. Uh, There's ways that I protect and guard her when I confess my sin. um, But I invite Kyla in uh, to my struggle uh, by confession. And uh, the other thing I would put on that, uh, she is not my accountability partner, okay? She's my wife. She's not my accountability. I don't expect Kyla to be like, so how's your purity? How's your thought life? You know, how's your time on the internet? Um, I don't mind when Kyla has asked those questions. She's not my mom and she's not my buddy. She's not my accountability partner. She's my wife. I love, I serve, I lead, I help her grow in her faith where she is secure who she is. She's not my accountability buddy. She knows uh, when I'm struggling with sin or sins that I just need to confess. But you have to develop a good confessional relationship. I mean, I've met with so many men who are struggling with pornography, and I'm like, if you confessed to your wife? She wouldn't understand. Well, you're going to have a terrible marriage until you start learning how to confess to your wife. I'm not talking about confessing, well, I went to this website, and this was the address, and this is what she looked like, and this is what they were doing. I'm talking about confessing sin. Not details, but confessing sin. Uh, So don't ever treat your wife as your accountability partner. Um, Treat her as your wife. Grow a healthy confessional uh, relationship. Let me uh, pray for us. And I know we're crazy over time, but um, uh, we'll finish uh, with some worship. And uh, we'll finish with uh, a very important thing of actually giving... Each of us, uh, myself, Kyla included, opportunity uh, just to sit with God, confess what we need to confess. If God's been convicting you of uh, the heart issues today, confess that, receive his forgiveness, repent of that, and come and celebrate communion. We celebrate communion as a reminder of what Jesus has done, of who Jesus is, what he has accomplished, that we are completely forgiven because he has declared forgiveness over us. And it is our heart, if you don't know God in a personal way, there's only one way to know God, and that's through his son, Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus, confess him to be your God, confess that you have sinned and that you are in need of a Savior, and invite Jesus to say, take up residence as my God. No longer these false idols uh, that I have been giving my worship to, but confess Jesus to be your God and come and celebrate communion, remembering that Jesus Christ was without sin, lived a perfect life, died on a cross to pay penalty for sin, and that his blood just completely washes us, makes us pure. This should be a sweet communion today of people who realize, you know what, I'm not all that. I've got a lot of stuff in my heart, but God still loves me. So Jesus, thank you that you are perfect. You are without sin. Thank you that you have declared forgiveness over us. Jesus, I know this is uh, certainly a hard text uh, that you preached. It was 2,000 years ago, and it still is today. To know that the reality is lust is the same as adultery. So Jesus, where there has been great conviction today, I pray there would be great response and great repentance. Jesus, if there are, are things, which I know there are, that need to literally be radically cut off, amputated, taken out of our lives. I pray we would do that and do it now with a sense of urgency. God, give strength, give courage, give grace, bring more conviction where there needs to be. God, if there's think of just any women who are here, whose life is marked by just insecurity, whose life is just marked by trying to find significance and value and worth, dignity in what they look like, God, I pray that today would be a new day, that they would be set free from external appearances and be released to live as who you have declared them to be. Beautiful women, children of God, your daughters, God, allow those that have that to sense your smile, your pleasure on their life. And God, for the men here of Genesis, God, I do pray that we would do it well. I pray that we would honor women. God, I pray that we would treat women with absolute purity in our actions, in our interactions. In our thoughts, deep within our heart, that we would see women as our sisters with absolute reverence and just purity. God, I do pray that within this community, there would be a great sense that women here feel safe and feel secure. God, there are so many women who do not feel that, who do not live that reality. Let it begin here. Jesus, we remember you, what you have done for us on our behalf. We worship you and we will celebrate communion, giving you thanks for your body broken, your blood shed.